0: That's 15% off at burrowcom ACAST.
1: Over the last
2: seven days, we've had more or less wall-to-wall coverage of the death of Queen Elizabeth II.
0: I speak to you today with feelings of
3: profound sorrow.
2: The coffin of Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II was brought from Buckingham Palace where it had rested for a final night with her family. Of course it's a historic important event but hospital appointments have been cancelled, food banks are going to close and protesters have been arrested. You wonder how receptive might the UK be to a different kind of monarchy and less of the pageantry that comes with it? At a time when millions of households are facing a cost-of-living crisis, do people really have the bandwidth to focus so relentlessly on the monarchy? I'm John Harris, and you're listening to Politics with the UK for The Guardian. Joining me today are The Guardian's Raphael Bear and Sonia Soda, the columnist for The Observer and uh, one of The Observer's leader writers as well. Hello to you both. Hello, John. Hi. Here's a question. Uh, what are you going to be doing on Monday? Will you be watching the funeral, do you think? I suppose that's one question.
3: Raf. Raph. I will have it on, I reckon. It's history. Uh, There's sorts of big events. Yes, I'm not going to sit down and commit myself to watching the whole thing. But
1: yeah, I'll have it on for sure.
3: Sonia?
1: Very similar for me. I'll probably be at home on Monday and I will have it on the TV as well. Um, But I will probably be pottering around my flat doing other things at the same time as watching it.
3: If it's a nice day, I might go to the beach. I live in Brighton.
2: There'll be a lot of Brightonians Brynt- down the beach. I suppose the the level of sort of either outright republicanism or, or, or a feeling, I'll put this politely, feeling somewhat distant from the spectacle will be quite high in
3: Brighton. I, I can confirm that the atmosphere in Brighton is different to the one I encountered in central London today when trying to cross town. <laughs> you yeah, had problems sure.
2: getting it because because the mall was so full of people.
3: Basically. I literally encountered a, a wall, that's the only word of it, of people that was unbreachable. I could not get past the, the mall and had to turn back and come another way. Uh, such was the intensity of feeling. Uh, Everyone's come down, and it wasn't necessarily emotional. Actually, it was. I think a lot of it was. It was it had much more the feel of a sort of just a spectating crowd than anything especially emotional. I would say. Uh,
2: just to say what I will or won't be doing on Monday. I mean, I suppose I might spectate a bit. You don't have much choice about what you do in the sense that everything is closed. I've just found out that McDonald's even is closed. Really. Yes, someone told me. Can we
3: just, before we get too upset about the fact that you can't go to McDonald's or Aldi or wherever it is, like, we're all old enough to remember that that was every Sunday when we were growing up. That's literally what Sundays were like when we were growing up, and it was okay. It wasn't the end of the world.
2: We've had a week now of more or less constant coverage of the Queen's death, from tributes to her reign as our longest serving monarch, to discussions about her life and the meaning of duty and service. Obviously, we've seen the accession of King Charles III and his first tour of the UK's nations as king. If you put on your TV or listen to the radio, you will have heard live updates on the passage of the Queen's coffin from Balmoral to Edinburgh, from Edinburgh to Buckingham Palace, Buckingham Palace to Westminster Hall. And finally, lots of looks ahead to what we've just spoken about, her funeral on Monday. Obviously, no one would deny that the death of a head of state and the arrival of a new king isn't a huge and historic news story But it's come alongside the inevitable suspension of Parliament for a period of mourning at a very, very uneasy, anxious time when millions of households are terrified about paying their bills this winter. And I suppose you wonder whether we're being forced to avert our eyes from other more important news. I also wonder about voices that are being excluded. You know, it's just a plain fact that A very very significant body of young people for example um people under 25 say they agree with the idea that the monarchy shouldn't carry on one in five people it's fairly consistent across opinion polls are republican in their opinions and we don't hear those voices at a moment like this so uh sonia what have you made of coverage and it's sort of sheer ubiquity the fact it's sort of inescapable over the last week and so many things being cancelled Have you started to arrive at the feeling that that it might not be proportionate in various ways?
1: Well, personally, I don't think it's proportionate, but I also am not that worried about it because, I mean, I engage with the coverage for the first couple of days, as I think a lot of people did. Um, I think, you know, it did feel like a sort of big national moment. Um, I started to sort of go off it a bit over the weekend on Saturday when the rolling news channels were just obsessing about William and Kate and Harry and Meghan again. And I just thought, you know, well, this is only very tangentially relevant to the fact that our head of state has just died and what's about to happen next from a sort of ceremonial and constitutional perspective. Um, But I also think it was entirely predictable that it was going to be a bit disproportionate. And I also think it's very easy to switch off from. So to be honest, I haven't been watching it very much since Saturday. So I couldn't, you know, it would be hard for me to speak to lack of balance and stuff like that, because I just haven't been watching it. And I expect a lot of people will have just opted out. There's plenty to opt out and to opt into. So um, I'm just... I'm just not sure that it's that concerning to me, because while I think there's a really important conversation to be had about the future of constitutional monarchy and the anachronisms of constitutional monarchy, I sort of think that conversation will be had increasingly um, during the reign of King Charles III, but probably at the very beginning wasn't at the moment it was going to happen.
2: I wanted to ask you about this idea about what's missing from the news agenda that ought to be there. Because as much as I agree with Sonia, you don't have to watch it. There are things that I want to know about that I find it quite difficult to find out about. Yeah, and what, one is the situation in Ukraine. That's the obvious yeah. example. Yeah, absolutely. Something seismic yeah. is happening there, which will have a huge influence on the future of our world, right? And I have to really try to find out more about it. It's, it's quite hard superficially to discover what's going on there.
3: Yeah, that's where I felt. I think the the sort of the first sort of explosive burst of saturation media coverage was quite normal, given that the Queen had reigned for such a long time. Uh, And then the long tail of it was more disturbing for precisely that reason. And, you know, I think, you know, I did. I wrote this week a column essentially saying, actually... 1,800 miles east of here are events that are going to affect the future of this country much more substantially than whether or not it's King Charles III or Queen Elizabeth II because it, essentially if this Ukrainian counteroffensive has achieved what it appears to have achieved and those gains are sustained and ha- that's as disorienting to the Kremlin as it appears to be then the world has pivoted on an axis and the, that pivot point wasn't Balmoral it was Kharkiv you know
2: Now let's talk as well about protests um people trying to sort of sound a note of dissent another thing that's happened over the last week is that a number of people um have been arrested for protesting at events that either commemorate the queen or herald the arrival on the throne of charles the third two people i think i'm right in saying have been charged by police in scotland another person in oxford was arrested for shouting who elected him at one of these sort of proclamation events which happened all over the country um we should have a listen to this. This is a barrister, Paul Powsland, recording himself standing outside Parliament with a, with a piece of paper with nothing written on it, uh, which has now become a sort of keynote element of this small but evident kind of protest movement, so to speak. He was spoken to by the police and this is what happened.
1: Why would you ask for my details? Just I check and make sure you can be here. I'm, sure. I'm in your city.
2: You, you've already said you've been arrested once. Sorry? You've already told me you've been arrested. No, for, I haven't. So no, you no, said no, that no, no. I said other people have been arrested. Okay. okay, well, now we've made that clear. I yeah. want to make sure you don't have bail conditions, not to be. Uh, so, so, so just confirm, you're not going you to give me your details. details? Just. For, I was holding up a blank sign. Okay. Why are you asking for my details? You said you're going to write stuff on it that yeah. may offend people. I said I was going to write not the king. my king okay. on a sign, you my details. It may offend someone. Who's going to offend? I don't know, but someone may not my kid. Like right? Someone might be offended. Right. Do, do, are you going to listen do, or are you, do, you just going to talk over? That, is, is that what you plan to do? Just talk over me continuously? No. Go ahead, go ahead. no? Not, thank you. All right. I don't know whether either of you can sort of um, enhance my understanding here of the, the legal position. But since when did people get arrested for doing things that might cause offence? Can anybody clarify this point?
3: well the the legal the sort of the first step very much in that direction was going i i think well actually you've had blasphemy laws uh, you know went into the, up to the 1960s and still on statute for a period after that so actually in theory things that would cause offense have been preposterously illegal for quite a long time but you then had uh the, the law that under the new labor government it was there was the prescription of incitement to religious hatred which crossed a little bit into saying things that might cause offence could be considered a contravention of law but then most recently uh, you have the the police and order bill this year which essentially made it harder to protest because the police could judge that something causing a nuisance mm. would actually be a contravention right. of law yeah, so right. there's That's this whole right. area of sort of getting in the way and being a bit obnoxious uh, has been bled into what used to be a prescription against things that were actually kind of les majesty and blasphemy. It's, it's been around in law actually for quite a long time. Sort of classic British vagueness yeah. that the police think gives them some sort of pretext
2: then to move people out of the way or or arrest them for yes, behaving like that. Yes, I
1: think is. what the bill did, which a lot of people had a problem with, quite rightly too, in my view, was it gives the police more powers to determine what is and isn't problematic protest because it's causing loud noise, for example. Um, and I think one of the reasons why it's... so, I mean, it's been interesting to sort of see the a very healthy debate about free speech and free expression that um, this... Uh, sort of whole episode has provoked. We know that the police exercise very, very poor judgment across a whole range of live social issues. And we also know that it's very important that the police are neutral and don't interfere with people's um, free speech
2: rights. The
1: politics of this, in, in a sort of small
2: way, have got quite interesting uh, in, in, over the last sort of 24 hours or so. David Davis, who, who makes a point, the Tory MP, former minister, who makes a point of, of, uh, of sounding quite noisy about these matters from time to time... I think he has, has expressed his concern about it, and then you had this strange spectacle of Jeremy Corbyn then saying, "Yes, that's absolutely right. I'm very glad you said this, David." So it's sort of got some political resonances. This
3: there, there are two different issues here, aren't there? There is sort of overzealous policing, and sort of either misunderstanding, willfully, or just out of stupidity, not knowing the law. Uh, you know, which was reminiscent also of some of the preposterous things we saw during the the pandemic lockdown, you know, sort of going up to people sitting in park benches on their own saying you're not allowed to sit down, you have to keep walking. That's not a free speech issue. That's just, you know, ludicrously aggressive policing for the sake of it. And then there's sort of the principal point, which is if if everyone wants there or enough people want there to be a national mood of solemnity, is, does someone who sort of makes the wrong noise sort of farts in church, is that somehow so bad that the police should be involved? Obviously no, but there seem to me two slightly different issues there.
2: The other thing I begin to wonder about is whether people yelling at funeral processions and so on is a consequence of the fact that their voices aren't heard. So the atmosphere is so stultifying. It's not like they're having, they're, these people are on them. Um, Good Morning Britain or uh, or the BBC's breakfast programme or Radio 4 articulating this viewpoint, it's verboten, right? In the moment. And therefore, what other option have they got but to stand there and shout? Somehow you make the protest all the more inevitable by not including those voices in coverage of what's happened.
3: That's interesting. I, I wonder about that. I mean, you, we're used to, again, the you know, thing is we haven't had uh, the, a queen or king die uh, and be replaced by another one in the age of the internet multi-channels i mean a lot of people got their first ever television set for the coronation of queen elizabeth ii so the scale of this thing we just don't have enough comparison to know how monolithic it, it could be in a digital age because in previous times it was quite easy to have media and monolithic media because there were just the morning newspapers um now what about this question about things closing down center parks we've talked about um
2: Bike railings in Norwich, you can't, I think you can't lock your bike to the council's uh, own bike locking facilities is i think it's Britain. Really, this is britain
3: self-satirizing i think we should we should yeah, but there, are, of quite s- there are serious
2: ones as well there are people who, who have been waiting for cancer and heart surgery right whose whose operations have been postponed they're meant to happen on monday and they're not happening now i have experienced so mm-hmm. uh, my partner and son were due to get covid booster vaccinations on monday which took quite a lot of doing to set those up they've now been postponed and they're sort of back to square one um Football matches we know about. The Football Association, in its infinite wisdom, last weekend cancelled even grassroots football, which meant lots of kids who want to play football, right? On the level of example. It's not a glorified kickabout, right? It's not a great occasion. They weren't allowed to. Well, hang on.
3: I'd stop you there. It's not a glorified kickabout for the. No, they take it it desperately seriously.
2: (laughs) What I'm saying is it's not a Premier League fixture, is it? People barely notice
3: that those things happen. Junior Premier League is still a Premier League.
1: Even if it was a sort of very high-level FA game, you know, there's a way to do it respectfully. I think a lot of this is accounted for by people being worried not to be seen to do the right thing and therefore overreacting um, about it.
2: Everyone's worrying about getting monstered by the Daily Mail, aren't they? The idea that if you were seen to carry on with your fun run or grassroots football or lock your bike to a post in Norwich and you somehow stuck out the aspects of the right-wing media would have your guts for guards.
3: I think that's true, although I think it's wider than that. It's interesting. It expresses a, I think Sonia's really hit on something here, a more pervasive sense that we have lost enough intuitive sense of what etiquette even is, mm. that literally no one knows what the appropriate thing to do is. I mean, actually going back again, thinking about you know 40 or 50 years ago in a more deferential society, which I'm not saying is better, but... I think some of the sort of basic social protocols, you know, what, as I said, like what you would wear to church, what you would say at certain times in certain situations was probably more sort of commonly and intuitively understood than this now. So we just, like, no one knows what the rules are. They want a sheet that says, these are the rules, these are things you say, these you can't say, because actually we've never been in this before.
2: Yeah. And so people overreact. Let me ask you a question about politics, because there's another thought has occurred to me in the midst of all this, and it's been echoed in certain things that I've read. I mean, politics right now, we know, is in a state of suspension. Next week, there is going to be this so-called fiscal event in which quasi Kwarteng and Liz Trust, by implication, are going to sort of lay out their approach to the cost of living crisis and so on. But I've heard people say that even when the official period of mourning is over, you've then got a sort of interregnum before coronation and so on. And a lot of this is still going to be in the air. Do you think that will mean that politics will think politicians and and people involved in politics will think it's slightly inappropriate to instantly go back to tearing strips off each other, that politics will be quietened for quite a while in the wake of this?
3: Uh, I think the funeral will bring a, a sort of, at least a sort of full-stop carriage return to some of that. And then the, the issue, there's two issues here again. One is actually on a practical level, you're supposed to have the recess of parliament for the party conference season, which you know ha- is always in the diary, but that means... You, you know coming on the back of let's not forget the the election of a conservative party leader that only involves 0.5 percent of, of the population so you know and, and Boris Johnson's sort of mad boring valediction that was just him preening himself and no actual government going on so you haven't had actual government functioning since sort of mid-July or June really or before because Johnson was such a shambles uh you then um politics then suspended. It's suspended then for the, for the conferences. So actually, Parliament won't have... I think we'll have had about five sitting days between the 22nd of July and the 18th of October. So that's just literally... It's in among what we're
2: faced with. Yeah, it's I mean, extraordinary. So, uh,
3: and so then you, when you get together for this mini-budget um, next week, whenever it is... Actually, it's a huge fiscal event. You, you you can't properly legislate for it. You can't tell businesses what the terms are going to be for them and their energy bills because that's going to need a finance bill. All sorts of things will need to be done that you can actually implement this stuff. And yeah, that then that, that's ridiculous. You really need to have MPs actually doing the job of holding government to account. You need to have ministers turning up to committees, turning up in the House of Commons and doing the bloody job they're paid to do. The responses, Sonia,
2: to this fiscal event, given what we know about it, have to be robust, right? Of course it looks they to do. to me like like Casting, we'll have to have strips Teared off them It's going of to be awful
1: it, yeah, right? Now, you,
2: now I just part of me just fears That that won't materialise To quite the extent That it ought to
1: Maybe I'm wrong But I think it will Because I think the situation We are in as a country Is just so dreadful When it comes to the grim Economics of it And the impact that people Are going to see And the number of questions That still shockingly Remain unresolved About Liz Truss's plan to some extent, in relation to households, but also very much in relation to small businesses and public services, that I just cannot see how politics does not go back to being really robust quite soon after the funeral. Well,
2: I hope they do, because otherwise we haven't got much of a podcast looking ahead to future weeks. Anyway, let's pause here for a minute. We will be talking next about what a 21st century monarchy may or may not look like.
1: starts the same way. Can I tell you a secret? It would start off with a random girl and just say, hey hun, I'm going to tell you some secret now. Please don't mention it to anybody. But it quickly escalates. It just spread like a wildfire. I still sleep with clubs next to my bed. I didn't know how far this was going to go. People seldom show their true selves online, but one man He's taken it much further. I was terrified. Who is the cyberstalker behind these messages? He actually said to me, good luck, proving it's me. And why is he sending them? Because he became more and more isolated. He just went within himself even further.
2: Do you punish someone for acting out whatever is going on in their mind that we don't understand?
1: And if I could just turn back the clock... From The Guardian, I'm Shirin Kale, and this is Can I Tell You a Secret? A story about obsession, fear, and the lives we lead online. Search for Can I Tell You a Secret wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now. All episodes will be available on Friday, the 23rd of September.
0: or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
2: Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us. We are now going to be talking about the future Of the monarchy. Um, This is the first time that the UK has seen a head of state die for 70 years. And in those 70 years, the world has changed completely. I've been very struck by the way that most of the people you see talking at length about this on TV as a huge historic event have been relatively old. They just have. Uh, And a bit like me, because I'm quite old as well. Um, They grew up in a world where monarchy made sense. It was a world of three channels of television. You sort of made reference to this a moment ago, Raph. Um, there was much more deference around. People arguably had more to be deferential about. They had uh, there was more stuff to feel grateful for. Power structures. Forty percent of people lived in council houses. Most people had secure jobs. You know the world is a much more fragmented, insecure place than it was. And also, Britain, to to a much greater extent than now, was a monoculture. There was a sort of central cultural ground that the majority of the population sort of gathered in. And monarchy was part of that, and I think it drew its foundations and legitimacy from that. Now, young people, people under 30 say now, know very little of that. They might know nothing of it at all. And I think that's what accounts for the very striking difference I've experienced recently between conversations with older people and younger people about all this. So I was away making um, a film for the Guardians Anywhere, but Westminster series. We set off on Friday last week, and I finally came back having driven 544 miles on Sunday evening, and we were in inner city Birmingham talking to two uh, young people, Alicia and Kay, and this is what they said. You know, the Queen's died. Yeah. How do you feel about that? It's actually sad. Is it? Yes. Yeah, and now you switch on the TV every five minutes and it's, it's yeah all jack about... flags and Yeah. God yeah. save the king and all that. Yeah. Does that connect
1: with you? No, not at all. I don't care about it. There's a lot of just division and stuff like that. It's an unequal country. Yeah, very, very unequal country. Like, obviously, racism happened time ago, but obviously there's still racism and stuff like that that goes around. Okay. The queen, it's, it's like, I care, care but really. I don't. That's me being real.
2: So Tell me about the care part and then tell me about the don't care I part. I care
1: because it's, it's, a pers- it's a qu- our it's queen. Our queen and it's a person who died, like, sad. like. Okay,
2: and then the don't care part?
1: She ain't done
2: that for us. And when they said she's not done anything for us, what they really meant was my interpretation of that was that sort of power, you know, big institutions haven't done anything for us. They were talking about the fact that youth clubs locally had closed. They felt there weren't nearly enough job opportunities for people like them, right? And that sort of echoed other conversations I had with with other people under thirty, shall we say, in other in other parts of the country, they just feel much more distant from all this, and we don't. We're not. We're not been hearing their
3: voices at all. Yeah, I think that really nailed actually how a lot of people are going to be feeling. I mean, that, what, what did you say? I care. I don't care. That's exactly, that's exactly how I feel. I mean, it's, it is objectively and uh, factually both sad that an, an old lady died, uh, and remarkable that someone who had been the head of state for my entire life and most of the life of my parents uh has died and therefore that's changed and also i didn't know her and as i said she didn't do actually she, You know, she turned up did the job most of the job was just turning up you know so that, that i think that those that's a pretty profound and fundamental observations from those people you spoke
2: they are but they also reflect an age difference right so there was a yougov poll that uh, was done in the summer of last year may 2021 and there was quite a lot of um attention on the media's part to this poll Because only 31% of 18 to 24-year-olds in that poll agreed with the idea that the monarchy should continue. And among over 65s, the figure was 81%, right? So something has happened as far as younger people are concerned. You can say that young people have always been irreverent and, and distant from institutions and so on. But this particular generation seems to have a particularly strong dose of that. That is interesting, Sonia, isn't it?
1: I think it is interesting, although maybe not surprising. I think the question for me, though, is I think there's a certain amount of inertia Built into kind of conversations around the monarchy and um, questions around its salience to people. So I think you're right that lots of people, you know, just don't feel too strongly one way or another about it. To be honest, I'd probably put myself in that camp. When I was younger, I used to be quite an ardent Republican. Now I'm a Republican on principle, but is it the most important thing to me? probably not i just sort of feel like in terms of things that people are going to get really um politically engaged about and involved in shifting i just can't see um you know moving on from a constitutional monarchy being one of them so i wonder if the degree of inertia there is around this will be the thing that saves the monarchy for a bit longer
2: that inertia is interesting isn't it because it sort of maintains the monarchy in quite an awkward position sometimes um in the sense that it survives, but it survives very often in a way that feels very sort of damaged, right? Yeah. So the reason that was cited for for that quite small proportion of younger people saying that they agreed with the idea the monarchy shouldn't continue in 2021 was what what had happened in, in the build-up to 2021. You'd had the treatment of Meghan Markle, by it seemed, by, the, by elements of the royal household, but certainly by the right-wing press. Crucially as well, you'd had um, all the stories surrounding Prince Andrew and his friendship with Jeffrey Epstein, uh, and the the role of, of the monarchy institutionally and in all of that. But I think that's to do with the way the modern world works. Institutions, established traditional institutions that tell us that they're rooted in history, and it's sort of inevitable that they'll always be around. It's interesting that in the last 10 or 15 years, they're all having a terrible time of it. The church is having a terrible time of it. The press is having a terrible time of it. The police have a terrible time of it, justifiably, right? And it's interesting that that monarchy has had this very, very turbulent experience in the midst of it, because this is a world of more irreverence, in in which institutions are, are, are subject to a much higher level of scrutiny than they used to be.
1: I think that's true. I think what makes the monarchy different to some of these other institutions in terms of potential renewal is that there's um, a total anachronism at the heart of constitutional monarchy, which is why I don't support it as a principle, which is it's down to birthright. So, for example, if Prince Andrew, so out of all those scandals that you listed, I think by far the most serious, actually, is Prince Andrew. You know, he's a known associate of a convicted child sex offender and himself stands accused of sexual assault, which he has denied, um, but which has never been examined in a court of law if he had been the Queen's eldest son I think there would have been a bit of a constitutional crisis I don't think Charles is his mother I, I, I don't think he will be able to steer the monarchy with quite the deafness that his mother did but I also think he will be a much better monarch than King Andrew would have been so um, I do think <laughs> not <laughs> <off. laughs> half yes
2: the... I think we can all agree on that I think I, I, can I just can <laughs> on, on to
1: that I, I, I agree with also
3: because the other thing that I think equally important Yeah, the whole Meghan Markle uh harry their sort of quasi excommunication from monarchy the allegations of racism what's interesting there is you know how it touches on this 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 sort of awkward issue of blood lineage and what makes a proper role you know for hundreds of years royalty perpetuated itself by princes marrying princesses and finding other monarchs and other royal families to cross marry into and actually what you forget is already even with the the great catherine duchess of cambridge whatever she is great she's she's way more middle class than anyone who's married an heir to the throne has ever been now you know what what, what's what's george going to do when he grows up at some stage you get to the point where they're celebrities they're not actual blue bloods and the whole concept does get degraded by a a fundamental democratization of the demographics of royalty that's gonna it'll just peter out it'll die Isn't that the way it survives? No, that's the way they just, because once they're just Kardashians with throw it with crowns.
1: Uh, No, I agree. I think that social media is uniquely difficult for an institution like the monarchy to negotiate because I think that um, as soon as the royal family become quasi-celebrities, and I think it's very hard for them not to do so. In fact, I think we see that with Harry and Meghan, and uh, to some extent William and Kate, but the you know the more they become celebrity, the more they are um, they are within reproach uh, in the normal terms that other celebrities are, and it becomes yeah, much. George's grandmother to... is like a was it worked as a air as a cabin. Star, she was
3: an air steward. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so like that is not very royal. I mean, great, but that is that is not marrying Princess Anastasia of Tsarist Russia in you know night whenever it would have been. It's
2: interesting that. Um... King Charles seems, or his people, seem mindful of what you've both just talked about in the sense that he's already putting up TikTok videos and there are little behind-the-scenes things trying to portray him in a more relaxed mood and all the rest of it. But then the problem with that is that the mask slips. I mean, the one clip that's gone viral lately is, just, is all about Prince Charles' frustration with fountain pens, something we all experience every day. Um, this is what happened. Is it twelfth,
0: thirteenth, sir. 13. Oh, God, i wrong date. 13?
2: See, there goes the mystique. That's not very sensible, is it? Having yourself filmed doing that.
3: Interesting lack of self-control, given that presumably he knew the camera was on him.
2: Um, it is said, Sonia, that King Charles is sort of mindful of this idea that some of the pomp and circumstance and the sheer sort of size of monarchy as an institution will have to be addressed. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's talk that he will uh, trim down the royal household and so on. He's already trimmed it down by a yeah. hundred people by sacking them all in the midst of all this, as we all know. But um, I don't know whether we'll get to the point of having a Scandinavian monarchy, style monarchy. I don't think we will. But do you think there's a sort of inevitability in the idea that some of the pomp and circumstance and reverence and all that necessarily will have to go? Because yeah. it's the only way this institutions I
1: do. And, um, you know, Charles, you know, it's not like I'm some big fan of his or anything, but he has already laid out plans. I think he's been talking about them for a number of years now around slimming down the monarchy. And actually, some of it sort of went into action when Harry and Meghan decided that they wanted to take a step back, and in some ways, they were just sort of acting as a catalyst um, for some of those plans to come into fruition. I think quicker than Charles probably intended.
2: I have, I have a sense, you see, being someone who's a Republican, and I, sort of more than Sonia, I am quite sort of staunchly and ardently Republican. Not because I've got this sort of. Um, deep, instinctive loathing of royalty or any of that. You know, uh, to echo something we heard earlier, I don't care, really. But I do have a sense that the royal family, A, is the linchpin of the class system, right? That's one thing, which I think is undeniably true. You know, the reason we still have prime ministers who went to Eton, and some people have the idea that only if you speak in a certain way are you properly qualified for that office. I think the royal family is very central to all that. The strongest argument against monarchy is what it does to the people at the heart of it. So for our edification, lives are ruined, right? And human beings at a very early age are deprived of one thing that we take for granted with our friends and family and our own children and all that, which is some measure of freedom of choice. If someone came to me and said, your son and daughter will have no say over the future direction of their lives because they're, they're a part of this family and what's going to happen is, over time, A, they're going to be in the full glare of, of the media, for the whole of their earthly existence. And also they're going to have to do this job and that's tough and they're just going to have to get on with it. That's an awful way to treat a human Well, and, and as
3: evidenced by the fact that the people who sort of marry into it get chewed up and destroyed by it. I mean, obviously with the, the case of Diana, there, it, there was a tragic accident at the end of it. Uh The the, the Megan thing, I mean, yeah, well, by her own admission, she seemed to think it was basically like another kind of celebrity that she was getting involved in. she had no idea that actually it's the british royalty i think she didn't understand what she was letting herself in for
2: it, it is true and actually this this strikes a quite an interesting note in the context of everything that we've been talking about because although we've been talking about reverence towards an institution sonia i often feel sorry
1: for the people involved in it like how awful to have to live like that yeah well i actually think To be honest, it was watching The Crown that really brought this home for me, watching the first series of The Crown and watching the young Elizabeth um, become monarch. Because I was like, can you just imagine being the person who um, all of a sudden your sense of identity and self, it just doesn't really exist anymore because you are the monarch. Everything you do in future will be interpreted as the monarch. That is the role you have for the rest of your life. You don't get a day off from that. You don't get an identity that's separate from that. And really, at the end of the day, it is quite an inhumane thing to ask of someone. So um, I do feel empathy um, to some extent for the people in that family, especially the people born into it rather than the people who choose to marry into it. So you're not
3: sympathetic to Megan's claim that she basically didn't really let know what she was getting involved in? I mean,
1: I'm sympathetic to what she recounts of the experiences. Um, I think she probably made an error. and didn't realise quite what it was like, but I don't, I didn't buy what she said about um, not understanding it at all because I think you'd have to basically live in Cottonwall not to understand what it is yeah. at all. You, you
3: could probably Google it, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just Google it. I mean, come on, every, this is the internet age.
2: Also, just in conclusion, it's a sort of very... British thing to do, isn't it? To be fully aware of the the hell that you cause people, but to do nothing about it. And I suppose that's where we are. Hanging on in quiet desperation. 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 We said
3: that before on this podcast, I'm sure.
2: It's the great great (laughs) Pink Floyd line, it's true. Republicanism will carry on being a minority interest and the whole awful soap opera will grind on. On that optimistic note, uh, we will leave you for this week. Thank you to you both. Thank you. Thanks guys. for having us. Uh, thank you all for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I certainly did. If you did, make sure you subscribe to Politics Weekly UK, wherever you get your podcasts, and even better, while you're in McDonald's or waiting patiently outside for it to reopen, leave us a review, preferably a nice one. This episode was produced by Frankie Toby. The music is by Axel Cacoutier, and the executive producers are Maz Ebtehaj and Nicole Jackson.
0: That's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe.